Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast. My name is Matt Drinkon, and I am willing to challenge the truth, willing to ask questions that bring out both sides of the discussion and listen while everyone shares their perspective. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to hear what the other side has to say, no matter what the side is. I'll do my best to suspend judgment and listen in a place that allows for the dialogue and debate to be had. Before we get started today in a disruptive conversation that gets real quickly, I want to encourage you that you can connect with me on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at Eternal Optimist Podcast. Today's episode is all about disruption. It's all about challenging and finding the truth. And it's important because there are not a whole lot of people out there that are actually asking the questions that get us to the truth. Many people pretend that they do, but only a very select few who've chosen to wade into the waters of the sharks and the challenges and all the things that are gonna come at you when you speak the truth, only a few truly do. Once in a generation, an impactor of worlds comes along. Rob Moore, my guest today, he is such a man. He has the heart, the grit, the tenacity, and someone who's on a mission to impact the world. I believe in Rob Moore. When I first met him, he's real, he's raw, he's transparent, and he can help us all transform. He has a podcast called The Disruptors Podcast. It might be the most listened to business podcast in all of the UK. I listened to it and heard him interview David Goggins when I was first introduced to Rob. And and this guy, Rob, I'm so impressed at so many levels. You know, he's interviewed every disruptive, controversial figure out there. A little bit about Rob, he lives in this place, it's judgment-free. He actively hunts for problems because he's searching for the truth. And from my perspective, he asks the questions that allow the truth to come out if someone's willing to go that deep. Some of the things that I learned from him, one is that comfort is the enemy of greatness. And he has spent the last 31 years trying to shed the skin of not appreciating himself. So now he's as real as it gets. He talks about being a decamillionaire, investing as much as possible into income producing assets. He talks about his own self image and the things that have challenged him and held him back. Rob goes deep on a number of subjects today about socioeconomic and geographic political boundaries. You know, he talks about money, and this is one of the things he's most known for is money, as he has another podcast called Money, and he helps people to see the, the parts of money they don't understand. And he makes it simple. He's, quite simply put, he's a genius, and I am very fortunate to have met him and have him on the show today. I hope you enjoy, and you have your ears really peeled, really tuned in to Mr. Rob Moore. Enjoy, friends. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. 
Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that introduction, it is my pleasure to introduce you to my new friend, Mr. Rob Moore, over the ocean in the UK. Mr. Moore, welcome, sir, to the Eternal Optimist Podcast. Thank you, Matt, for having me. It is an absolute privilege and pleasure to meet you, Rob. I've been consuming your podcast now for over a month and a half, and it's been quite a journey. I love to just dive in deep right away. The first question I'd love to ask would be, what is something that was very hard for you growing up that you then turn into a great learning lesson and teacher for you? Being accepted by people was really hard for me. I was the fattest kid in my year at school for two or three years straight. I just never felt included, accepted, loved, respected, admired, or noticed. I just didn't. And sometimes I think it was because I was teased and not always included, and children can be brutal. But a lot of it was also in my own head. That's the answer to that question, yeah. I have spent the last 31 years trying to shed the skin of not appreciating myself for who I am and what I've done and to leave that child behind because I've kind of carried him physically like heavy guy that I was, but also mentally definitely carried that like a noose through this 31-year journey to where we are today, where there's accolades, there's all kinds of business success, you're helping a lot of people with what you do now. And I wonder how tight is that noose today of that little kid who had those issues and challenges, Rob? Better. I don't think I'll ever truly love myself. And I know that's a thing that we're all supposed to do more of. I don't know I'll ever get there. And I'm okay with that, Matt, because sometimes it's okay not to love yourself too much. Then you go out and chase your mission and strive to improve. I sometimes wonder, what if I fully love myself like they tell us we should? Maybe I'd just be too relaxed and I wouldn't achieve anything. I guess what I'm saying here is I've learned to take what is my pain. And by the way, there's been people who've experienced more abuse and trauma than me. This is just you asked me, but it's something that I carry. And I've learned to accept that I'm pretty good. I like myself. I don't love myself. I don't always even like myself, but mostly I like what I do. And mostly I like how I bring myself to business and entrepreneurship. And when I don't, it's okay. And I was even talking to my wife today. We had lunch together and we spent a good two or three hours together, which when you're an entrepreneur, getting two or three hours a day in with your wife is good going. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. You know, we were talking about how daily I will feel quite sad and quite lonely. And sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. And I'm trying to contextualize it thinking, is that something that happened? Is that something that's going on in my business or my life? And actually, it's really just those dark, deep, hidden emotions from 30 years ago, sometimes just rearing themselves up. I think I probably would call myself an eternal optimist, Matt. I think I probably would. And I've studied so much personal development, like I'm sure you have. We're mutual friends with Mark Victor Hansen, who's one of the gods of personal development. And that's been really good for me. I think it has downsides, personal development, but it's been really good for me because it got me to have a better dialogue in my head with myself, understand my emotions and where they came from and and almost pull away from my emotions and observe the emotions rather than being in the emotions. And then better understanding what those emotions are and where they came from and then learning how to leverage them for a goal or an outcome, whether that is someone upsets me, so I'm going to go and turn that into some relentless hard work or proving them wrong. 
or someone reacts angrily to me and instead I'm going to act with grace and dignity and dissolve their anger. And in business is emotional. You can't get away from that. All right, we like systems and software and processes and tech, but business is emotional. But if people bring their emotions when they're triggered to you in board meetings and important dealings in meetings, I've had four of those today, by the way, where people brought their whole baggage onto me, but you handle it really well and professionally, whether it is in a balanced, regulated state yourself or whether that is facing the conflict and then getting through and resolving the conflict. I think it's a brilliant way to manage and handle emotions. And there's already conflict in business. It's already hard. Why do you want to bring your whole baggage from 31 years ago into the board meeting and into dealing with critics or customers who are complaining? And if you can manage your emotions and not bring yours in and they bring theirs in, theirs dissolve. That's what I've really tried to work on. And owning a company, I said I had a, before we went live, how many staff I've got, just under 115. I have about another 35 outsourcers. We had 200 at one point with our contractors. And every day you get dozens of people problems. Every single day, it's just relentless. I see that as good practice in mastering my own emotions and diffusing situations and solving conflicts. There's some thoughts there. Wow. Where to unpack so many nuggets of wisdom. Let's go to the present. Four opportunities today to practice dissolving some of the inner pain or challenge of others in these conversations. When you're in a conversation, Rob, and it's with an employee, business partner, contractor, whoever it is, and they bring stuff to you, I mean, what's going through your head and how are you working on you and working with them in that moment? Matt, first thing is to say is I don't judge them for that because we all bring our own stuff. And I try and be balanced and neutral and not bring my own stuff. But me being me brings my own stuff because I've got stuff. It's definitely not a judgment. Ultimately, the way I see business, Matt, is there are 412 problems a day going on in your company or however many. And the more of them about, the better you are armed to progress your business. And the less of them you know about, the worse off you're going to be. So most people try and avoid problems. And I did that for a long time, Matt. And that was why I was 50 grand in debt and living in my dad's pub, earning virtually no money and not in a good place in my mid-20s. But now I'll actively go out and hunt the problems and fix them. I found so many today. It was weird because I was walking up the stairs thinking there's about the 28th problem I found today. And I got this real sense of a buzz. Like if everything was going well, that buzz you would get where you would have that spring in your step. Well, I got that buzz today because I found about 24 problems in my company that yesterday I didn't know. I can't do anything with what I don't know. I just see people bringing their own emotions to the table as just another problem to solve. What's going on in my head to answer your question, Matt, is, okay, why is this person bringing this emotion with it? Because it's so easy to say, well, just tell the truth or just tell me how it is or just clearly articulate the problem. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone did that? But we load our own emotions and we bring our own character flaws. Therefore, it's not that we're not telling the truth, but we're hiding behind our own emotions and protecting our identity and all this stuff's going on. My first thing is what's going on? I'm trying to read the play. What's going on here? Okay. Is what they're telling me what they're actually trying to say or is there a layer or two behind? And I'm going to give an example of what happened today, Matt. We put a video out on YouTube, which had a pretty brutal thumbnail. And I've got a friend who is connecting me with the person of which the thumbnail is about. And she got upset. She wasn't like defaming my character, but she was going at me going, Rob, this is wrong. You've got to take this down. Represents him badly. You know, he's done you a favor. You shouldn't be doing this. And I'm sitting in the situation going, okay, is she upset that he will feel bad about the positioning of this video? Or is she upset because she's embarrassed because she connected us and this looks bad on her? 
And they're two completely different things. These are the reads that I'm trying to get in the meeting. So first thing is what's going on? What's the truth behind the situation? What's actually happening? And then if I regulate my emotions, there's calm down. I really believe the universe is a mirror and it gives you what you give it. You stand in front of a mirror, it puts your reflection back. You put good, kind vibes out to the universe, you'll get them back. You put anger out to the universe, you'll get it back. If I can put out a centered, calm sense of balanced professionalism, then that will calm their emotions down. Now, why do I want to calm their emotions down? Because I think when we're logical and not emotional, I think we make better decisions. I think it was John Martini that said to me, the more emotional we are, the less intelligent we are. Let's be honest. We do our stupidest things when we're either elated or depressed. Let's just be honest about that. None of us do stupid things when we're balanced and logical and taking our time and evaluating all the options and looking at the data. We make our stupid decisions when we're aroused, excited, elated, depressed, angry. And I'm trying to get them into a more neutral state by being in a neutral state, trying to understand what the truth behind the situation is. And from their point of view, how do they see it? I'm going to give you another example, Matt. I asked someone to fire someone yesterday. I don't use those words, by the way, but I just use it for your podcast because it's a recognized American term. I don't use that language. But I asked someone to let someone go because I felt that their role wasn't needed. And I did feel that they were a bit distracting culturally. That message got portrayed to my manager and he got really upset. And I actually wanted to trigger him because I felt like sometimes we need to be jolted into discomfort. And he was really upset. And I was told by my MD that he was really upset. And I said, no worries, pull him into a meeting and let's chat. The three of us got into a meeting and he was visibly upset. He didn't get upset that much, but he was visibly upset. And we thrashed it out for an hour and we brought all the issues to the table. And I said to him, do what you need to do, what you think is best. As long as you can make the saving equivalent of the person we would let go, I'll let you own that. And we talked it out and we're all able to come to a solution. I'm going to contradict myself now, Matt, because it's important, because I think everything exists in a paradox. We are a contradiction. I've talked to you about how I'm trying to balance and regulate emotions and get to truth and get to logic and get to outcomes and solve problems and get through all the veils that we put in front of things. But every now and again, I do like to trigger people. I do like to shock them. I do like to make them feel uncomfortable. I do like to get right under their skin because I think that comfort is the enemy of greatness. That's definitely something I've learned in personal development. And when I see people uncomfortable, I don't mind causing conflict and challenge to jolt them to break their pattern. And then I'll sort of kiss and make up afterwards. (laughs) I love it. What I think I'm hearing in that contrast prediction that comfort is the enemy of greatness is that in some way, shape or form, greatness is in your vision. How did greatness come to be in your mission or vision from that really uncomfortable, painful place of that boy who was the chubby guy who didn't believe in himself? How did greatness get to be your mantle of where you're headed, Rob? Well, I think it's because of that, Matt. It's basically because of me feeling ostracized as a teenager or a pre-teenager. And then my dad had been having a nervous breakdown in his pub in front of all of his customers in 2005. It's those two key critical things in my pre-teen and post-teen years that caused enough pain in me that is still a hole in my soul. It's like a bucket with a hole in it that you're pouring water in it. It's never going to fill. But the faster I pour water in, the more I could fill it. And I could spend my life trying to fill the hole. But the hole in that my soul makes me who I am. I've done a lot of therapy and a lot of personal development to come to terms with me and who I am and be okay with myself and like myself. I'm in a good place there, mostly. I don't feel the need to repair myself. I'm not broken. But the hole is the void and the void drives the value. So I actually studied this, teleos and the study of values. Generally, a very meaningful mission can come from a very empty void. 
Alcoholics Anonymous wouldn't have been started by someone who's never experienced alcoholism in their life. It would have been started by someone who was a recovered alcoholic or someone who's had alcoholism in their family. Children's charities are started by people who've had experience of trauma losing children. You just go and do the research, just find it everywhere. So actually, a void creates a value. It's wise to figure out what the voids are in your life and then go and fill them with a meaningful mission because nothing else is going to fill them. Addictions aren't going to fill them. Substances aren't going to fill them. Relationships aren't going to fill them. What's going to fill them is a meaningful mission. Now, I just want to caveat one thing here, Matt. I do not use the word greatness because I do not think I'm great. And it's not false humility. It's just that for me, there's always another level. My podcast gone a bit viral this last sort of week. It's blown up, but it's not as big as Joe Rogan. And I've written 18 books, but our mutual friend, Mark Victor Hansen, sold 500 million books. <laughs> I haven't sold 500 million books. I'd take 5 million. There's always another level and there's always someone at a higher level. I'm striving to be the best that I can be, but definitely I will never define myself as great. And I don't think no matter what I achieve in my life, will I ever define myself as great. But it's like loving myself, Matt. If I define myself as great, I'd probably become complacent. I might fall pride before a fall. Is that what they say? And if I love myself too much, I might not want to go and prove anything. I don't see these voids and these voids and these pains. They serve us. And that's what a lot of personal development has taught me is that actually the pain is useful. The pain can serve you. Don't avoid it. Don't try and alleviate it. Don't self-medicate and numb yourself down to try and get rid of all these negative emotions. Mm -hmm. Actually be in it, breathe it, experience it and leverage it. I love what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that you're an active problem solver. You hunt for the truth. You're someone that takes the pain and the void and you allow that to use you or you allow yourself to, to let that be part of your journey and it helps you. you. You touched my heart there for a moment when you said that you got a chance to spend two or three hours with your wife today at lunch. And I'm curious, for someone who shared everything you've shared far, how did you meet your wife? Out of curiosity. Um, do you want the universal <laughs> version or the R-rated version? <laughs> Dude, give it to me, whatever, whatever you're willing to share. We'd love to hear. All right. I just wanted to check your audience. I I'm going to say this in the most respectful way, but as a young testosterone-fueled 20-something-year-old man, my mind was having different visions. But my wife used to go to the gym that I went to, and she wore the minimum amount of clothing. And, and I noticed that from the other side of the gym. And she's since admitted that she did that to try and find a husband. It's all good, and it worked. But I, that's how I noticed her in the gym. I noticed how attractive she was from a distance, and she wasn't trying to hide that, that, that fact. And then, and then she was in a bar. And I, I am not very good. I've got my woman. I'm happy. I'll, I've in my life, I'm not very good at, I haven't been very good at approaching women because I've always been worried that my, they might reject me publicly. It's weird. I have this vision. I go up and talk to a woman and she rejects me and she shouts to the DJ to stop the music and the DJ stops the music and the DJ shouts that I'm a loser trying to crack onto this woman here and I get a, a big public shaming. I, it's weird. I Wow. I, back to when I was the overweight kid, I suppose, and the, and the, the public shame of being the token fat guy. I would never approach girls because I was too scared of getting rejected. And it took me probably till 27, 28 to face that. And probably in my mid 30s to grab it. And probably in my early 40s to properly overcome it, I would say, because I would do most things now and not worry about being rejected. Most, not all. I actually approached her in the bar. I'd had a few drinks when I used to drink. And it was it's a good job that I did. And 
yeah, she bought me a drink. She was just different. She bought me a drink. Wow. And, and normally I would buy them a drink. And she later told me that if she buys a man a drink, it means if she doesn't like him, she can leave without the obligation to stay because he's bought her a drink. <laughs> I mean, my wife's smart. She made me wait five dates before I even got past first base, as we say. <laughs> And, and that's not normal where I'm from. <laughs> You're married after five dates where I'm from. Um, it, everything was just different. And that's why it's worked. Awesome. Awesome. You say that when you face rejection today, it's not something that's that it doesn't, doesn't phase you as much. But most of the time, where might be a case now where there might be rejection that is difficult or you're aware of? I think if I met a real hero and I got a major rejection, certainly publicly from a real hero, I would definitely feel that because I'm, I don't know if your listeners have heard the saying new level, new devil. Mm-hmm. What I find with overcoming rejection, your own fears, going from a million to 5 million to 10 million to 20 million a year, the stages that you go through and I've gone through, you, you achieve the next level of mastery or progress, but you then face the, the bigger level of mastery or progress. Like Super Mario, the computer game, the levels get harder. Great example. Um, so, for sure, I can handle all sorts of rejection I couldn't handle in the levels below me that I've transcended. But if I met a real hero and, I, and they outed me publicly, I'd, I'd certainly feel some rejection or shame there. I think if I went bankrupt, I'd feel definitely some rejection or shame there. Like I, in, in America, it's not really as frowned upon in, as it is in the UK. In the UK, it's a pretty serious thing to go bankrupt. And I've got, I'd have a load of creditors and a lot of people would lose a lot of money and I wouldn't want that. And I would fight till the death. Even if I had to pay everyone back £12 a week, I would do it for the rest of my life before I would go bust. That would um, definitely hurt. Yeah, but other than that, I can't really think of too much else. I'll ask what needs to be asked. I'll negotiate what needs to be negotiated. I'll do what has to be done. Absolutely. Today's episode of the Eternal Optimist podcast is sponsored by It Begins From Within. There's no hiding behind our insecurities. Let's flush them out. Let's deal with them. Ever feel sorry for yourself because you're not where you want to be in life or you're unhappy with your partner or with your family or with something external? These external factors, they play a huge part. Yes. And let's always start from within. What questions are you asking yourself? What habits do you have around money, around relationships with others, around how you talk to yourself? To move to that next level, we first must win the battle within. It all begins from within. Please listen to my guest, Mr. Rob Moore, as he is someone who is winning this battle. And for that next level, and and I'm with you on that, Rob, that next level, everyone out there is at some level try and get to that next level if they are. And if you say a hero were to publicly shame you or reject you, that could be tough. At the stage you're at, I mean, who is an example of it? I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. I've always been a fan of his. I mean, I loved his movies when I was a kid. There's the emotional connection, but then he's really successful in multiple areas of his life. Became highest paid actor in the world. Became Mr. Olympia about a zillion times. And he became the governor of California as an immigrant. He got a, and I'm sure he's sold millions of copies of his books and he's got a load of real estate. Most of those things he's done, maybe not bodybuilding, of course. I'm interested in, yeah, I, and I have met him and spent a bit of time with him. Um, 
and I was nervous, very nervous, fucking more nervous than I've been with anybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Elon Musk, I'm sure there's some things he's doing which aren't are still yet to be proven whether they're for the net benefit of humanity. But I like his attitude and I think that he's an overall, he's trying his hardest to do the right thing. I don't know, I think I could handle rejection from Elon Musk more because I think the way he would do it might be, I mean, Elon Musk's pretty practical and logical. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've, I've got better over the years at not heroizing or demonizing individual human beings. Mm. I, I probably heroized and put on a massive pedestal some people who I thought were aity okay but the higher you put someone up the lower it puts you down compared to them you naturally de-pedestalize yourself putting someone else on a pedestal and in reality i've met arnold schwarzenegger he's quite a lot shorter than me he's got thinning hair which i have but not as much and and when i met him and saw that he was sort of a little bit awkward meeting people i realized well he's just a human being like me he's not worthy of putting way up and, and heroizing, but certain, certainly others aren't worthy of demonizing. And we heroize and demonize people based on our own values. I, I t- I'll tell you something that really annoys me, Matt, is when someone calls someone else a loser. Mm. By what standards are you judging? So I just interviewed Andrew Tate, who's probably one of the most famous people on the planet right now. That's just all gone viral. And he's very, he basically says anyone who doesn't work 12 hours a day and anyone who's not successful is a loser. But what, what if kindness is your measure? of life success? What if being a great parent is your measure of life success? Does that make you a loser just because you're being judged by someone who's working 14 hours a day? So I'm trying to get better at not heroizing people, which I can do because there's still the vulnerable, humble side in me that was a kid and not demonize people. I, I, I don't, can't remember the last time I outed someone publicly. It's just not something I do. I'm I try to speak well of all and and not speak ill of anyone. And if I do speak ill of them, I try to say something that I would absolutely say directly to their face or they would be okay with me saying behind their back. I try and live by these standards. But yeah, who am I to judge anyone else? Who am I to demonize someone? Why am I better than them? I'm not. I'm different than them. You are, and you've said a couple of times now, judgment-free, and I want to applaud you for that, of being someone who's not there to be the judge or the critical of other people. I love that about you. You talk about uh, if there's a hero that rejects you publicly, that could be tough. And if it's Arnold or if it's Elon, that could be tough. If you identify the challenge, is that something that then drives you to want to go after that challenge, Rob? Like, do you see this is the thing that could be fearful or shaming or challenging yes. that make you want to go straight towards it and do yes. something about it? Yes. That's a learned trait in me, Matt. 12-year-old overweight kid wants to absolutely run away from all that pain <laughs> and go and cuddle my mummy and my teddy bear. That's what the 12-year-old kid wants to do. But the learned, hardened, leather-faced entrepreneur on a mission wants to do the opposite, sadistically chase them i'm pretty close to getting arnold on my podcast and i'm i think i'm about a third of the way where i need to be to get elon on my podcast and i won't give up until that's happened yeah i'm gonna hunt it out and and what i've realized because i've interviewed i've done 1200 podcast episodes i've interviewed hundreds of people and as matt it's not easy to interview people think it is it's not and i feel now i'm worthy to sit at the table i don't feel i'm a great interviewer because i've got more to learn but i feel i'm worthy of sitting at the table next to anybody on this planet to interview them and that makes me feel somewhat more confident that if i had some challenging guests of which i have had many and if i had some huge names of which i have had many 
I could hold my own in the job that I'm doing, which is to be a good interviewer. Absolutely. I mean, a thousand percent. I've heard you interview a few of them. I remember the first one I heard you interview was David Goggins. And that was a month and a half ago when I heard that. And you asked some hard questions right away, even had him talking about his game. I've heard your game and it's awesome, right? But it's, it's strong. Is there a place outside of your business that you're still working on that feels that fear, that rejection could be there somewhere outside of your business? It's still challenging. Well, my body image, Matt, and how I perceive myself will be that I will never escape that because there's just a major triggering point where if I'm anything but lean and ripped, then it's not good enough. And I've been lean and ripped many times and then I've been normal. I'm certainly not overweight, but right now I'm normal. And that, that causes me some pain for sure. And it's weird because in some ways, in some things that I wear and in certain situations, being having a normal body type and not a, a ripped body type actually looks better. I look better with a bit of weight on me. Like if I think about it logically, but I don't like it. I need to be lean and ripped. That's body image um, is definitely one area outside of business and entrepreneurship that I've got a lot of work to do on. I, I don't really have much of a life outside of business and, and work. Matter. I work every single day. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not one of these, yeah, I work 24-7, 365. That's nonsense. No one does. And uh, um, I, I, get the, I think I get the balance right. I feel like I get the good flow. I work, get up at 5.15 and start work at 5.30. I do my workout at 7.45. I've got my content 8.30 to 9.30. I work again till about 11 or 12. Then I have meetings till about 3 or 4 sometimes not quite that late and then I'm done. That, it's a nice flow. I really enjoy that day. And I, I'll, do that. I'll do that on a Saturday and a Sunday, but just maybe a couple of hours less. And that's the way I want to live my life. I don't really have much outside of business and entrepreneurship, Matt, because probably like yourself, my passion is my profession. Absolutely. Like this isn't work talking to you. It isn't work meeting amazing people. It isn't work helping as many people on this planet get better financial education knowledge. It, it is in the sense that it's my job, but I own the companies. And there are people, manual labor in coal mines, and there's still slavery in the world. How could I even call this work? I mean, that would be disrespectful. Mm. And I love your attitude. I love the perspective and the gratitude. And I, I would say this, if you if you look back and let's just say in, in 20 years, and you have a legacy, what might you want that legacy to be, Rob? Yeah, I'm very clear on that. I want to have helped as many people on this planet get better financial knowledge. I want there to be millions of people who were in debt and didn't know how the monetary system worked and were stuck. And then they quit their jobs and started their businesses, or they got their three or four salary raises, or they got their three or four promotions, or they became a millionaire, or they got out of debt or they understood how money in the system worked better and their lives were better and they had a better relationship with money and they realized that money is a, a great tool and not an emotionally loaded weapon. Um, that's, that's my vision. Amazing. Let's say that I'm on the, the front end of that and I'm just getting ready to get out of debt. I'm right there. I'm almost debt-free and I find Rob Moore somewhere, somehow. Podcast, I find his work. You know, where do I start? How do I start this journey from that point? Well, if it's specifically your money situation you want to improve, I have a podcast called Money, and I wrote a very extensive book on money called Money. If that's the 
leaning of the question. If the leaning of the question is, what can I share with people to do in practical steps to start to get out of debt? I'll answer that too. And that is, number one, you cannot master what you do not measure. You need to measure and track your spending. On a practical level, you must know what goes out and you must know what goes in. And by the way, this is an ever-moving target, Matt. For example, my company goes through periods of high profit margin and low profit margin. And when it's low profit margin, I generally don't tend to know where all the profit has gone. And then when I find out where all the profit has gone, generally the profit tends to go up. On a practical thing, if you don't know what you're spending and you don't know what you're earning and you're not really clear and you're not budgeting, then you're always going to spend more than you earn. Logic number two is you must pay yourself first. The problem with being employed and I'm not against employment. I'm not one of those people that say job is just over broke and having a job is for losers like a lot of people do. I think that's disrespectful. But the problem with being employed is the government take their money off you first and you get what's left. And at the moment in the UK, we're, we're one of the highest tax nations in the world and that's going to go up before it goes down. And inflation is really high and you could call that really a form of tax, couldn't you? Because it's lowering your spending power. Yep. The problem right now is the government are in such a mess and the government have got their trillions of debt that they have to pay off. The taxes are going to go up. So 45% income, 20% VAT, 25% corp tax. I mean, when you're employed, it's your income, but it's 45% income. It's your national insurance. Uh, then if you've got a student loan on top of that, you've lost 55% of your earnings before you, before you even, like, you've worked five and a half hours out of 10 for the government. You've worked 26, 27 hours in your working week for the government because you get paid last. Whereas when you're an entrepreneur and you have a company, you pay yourself first. You pay yourself first, you manage your tax affairs, you learn all the tax breaks. I don't like to call them loopholes. They're not loopholes. They're either tax allowable or tax non-allowable. You work out your tax allowances, what you can offset, and then you reduce your tax, and then you pay the government what's left. That's how it should be. How it should be. Um, on a practical level, pay yourself first. On a practical level, you, you, you cannot master what you do not measure. On an emotional level, you've got to look at where you spend your money emotionally. We all tend to spend our money on things that are most important to us, of which we high, highly value. Now, someone who's addicted to drugs highly values spending money on drugs. Someone who's addicted to their appearance highly values spending money on cosmetics. Someone who is, is addicted to investing will put all their money into real estate. You got to look at where your emotions and values and drivers are driving your spending habits. And you've got to see if they're productive for you or destructive for you. Yeah. And mostly they're destructive. Otherwise, people wouldn't be in debt. Going out, like, for example, a lot of people spend money to feel good. You got to learn to save money or invest money to feel good. You got to learn to feel, get the same emotional kit. You go out, you celebrate you spend money. You feel down and depressed, you spend money. I'm an, I'm, I've got emotional eating, Matt. When I want to celebrate, I want to go out and eat. When I'm sad, I want to eat. But people do that with money. They spend money when they're emotional. If you can regulate your emotions and never spend money when you're emotional, you'll all of a sudden start to realize that actually, you've, you probably don't have to earn a huge amount more to be able to get that debt down quite quickly. Thank you. Well, that's, that's where we might start. And you gave some great advice, practical advice there. Let's take the other end of the spectrum, Rob. Let's say that I am, I am a millionaire and I now have 
more than enough money coming in to satisfy my lifestyle and I'm not sure what to do next. How might I get clarity and what to do next? Sure. So I'm going to ask a, answer a question you didn't ask. But the first thing I need to say is this, because the world needs to wake up. A million is no long, longer a lot of money. I'm sorry, but it's not. I wish it was, but it's not. Inflation is 15% minimum. The fiat currency system where money's been eroding in value since 1971. What was a millionaire in 1971 compared to a millionaire will be in 2023? Well, it's a lot different. And now a watch can cost a million pounds and a car can cost a million pounds. In 1971, you couldn't, they probably couldn't buy one single thing for a million pounds. You could buy a watch, you could buy a Rolex probably for two or 300 pounds, I'm guessing, working out inflation roughly. A million is not enough anymore. And Dave Ramsey does a lot of good in helping people get out of debt. But his, his advice is a bit outdated now. And he talks about everyday millionaires and you need to be a decamillionaire now. If you want enough, because people always ask me this, Matt, I'm sure they do you, how much is enough? Well, it depends on your lifestyle. But a million is not. But everyone thinks it is. Because it sounds, it's being a millionaire. You need to be a decamillionaire. You need to... T-M-L, T 10 million liquid. Okay. I've rephrased your question. Let's say you're a decamillionaire <laughs> and you've got this good lifestyle and what do you do? Well, I think number one is you invest as much of it as you can in assets that produces recurring income and you protect it from inflation, taxation, the government. Don't put it, I, I, I'm really strongly against government-backed assets because I don't think they're assets. I don't think a pension fund is an asset. Certainly not a state one, because I think that it's been proven that they take money out of state pensions and they extend the pension age. And look, the regulations are different in the UK to the US. Do your own research. But I don't believe in a state pension. I think it's flawed. There isn't enough money in it to pay for the aging population because obviously we're living a lot longer. A bond, a government bond is one really low return. And two, how is the government safe and secure? It's not. They're, they're, they're insolvent. Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm totally with you on this. They're, they're debt ridden and they're insolvent. So I think you've got to put your money, in my opinion, in decentralized assets that you own and control that aren't government backed or controlled. And to a certain degree, you can't be fully decentralized because you might have a mortgage on real estate. And, and that's good debt, by the way. And I'd, I'm happy to do that. Rather than the banks having my money and lending it out and profiting on my money that they pay me no interest on, I'd rather borrow money from the banks to put into real estate and I'd rather leverage their money. Make sure that you don't have much savings, much cash, um, because cash is actually not an asset. It never has been. People think it is saving. But okay, you could argue if interest rates were high and inflation was low, cash savings is an asset, but it's not like that at the moment. But cash goes down every year with inflation. It's a depreciating liability. And banks know this, by the way, because banks take your money and they immediately invest it. you got to take your money and immediately invest it. You probably want some physical assets like real estate. You probably want some well-managed and diversified money in the stock market, the S&P 500 or something like that. You definitely also want some physical. There's certain things I say, Matt, which I believe I should say for the good of the people, but uh, I could get into trouble by the governments for saying this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. There is a, a revolution and there's a run on the banks and your nation goes bust or is bust, but is making out that it's not. There is nothing to stop the government or the central banks taking your money from your bank account. There is nothing to stop it. You cannot stop it. 
And people are, oh, but the banks guarantee the money. You just wait. That they, they, they can take it. They can recall the loans they've got on you. Although that would cost them, they may not do that. But if you've got gold and you've got Rolex Daytonas and you've got Bitcoin <laughs> and you've got art, how can they get that? Because they'd have to know where it is. And if you didn't tell anyone, how would they ever know? <laughs> no, no government official wants me to say that. And I'm, by the way, I'm not saying do anything illegal. I'm saying you only have to disclose what you have to disclose about what you own. No more, no less. And then this revolution, which is coming, if you've got, if you've got gold, you, you can transact. If you've got all your money in the bank, you can't. As a decamillionaire, you want some physical assets off the grid where, where you could. And for me, it's gold coins, Krugerrand, Sovereign Britannia. It's Rolex Daytonas, steel, all gold. I think art, I don't know enough about. The good thing about art is you could have a hundred grand painting and people would look at it and go, well, that looks like it's worth $10. (laughs) So (laughs) in in a way that could be quite clever. Um, And then the the final thing I'll say about being a decamillionaire is if you build a personal brand and you have brand equity as well as cash and capital equity, Mm -hmm. even if you lost all the money, you've got brand equity and you can build it all up again. My Disruptors podcast, my 18 books that I've written, my 2 million followers on social media. And by the way, I'm not the biggest by any means, but those brand assets are seven, maybe even eight figure a year assets for me. Mm-hmm. And if you took everything, I've got them and I can make money from the ether with a personal brand asset. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Love to hear everything. When you, when you get to be a decamillionaire, does your mind view expand to, well, say, for example, getting yourself at your own fully furnished bunker? somewhere i know in uk i don't think anyone has handguns or weapons over there quite the same as they do over here but do you think of arming yourself in some way does your mind go into those places as well as assets okay there's certain levels of protection that i have invested in high levels of protection it's i haven't got armed guards and i haven't got a bunker yet but i'm probably not quite big enough or a threat enough if i was andrew tate i'd need armed guards and i might need a safe room or a bunker where I can store a load of non-depreciable consumable foodstuffs like condensed milk to get through the upcoming apocalypse. I have actually thought about that. But home security and I don't really have many or any of my assets in my person or in my home. I never photo my house. I never photo when I'm away because I have had stalkers and threats and i'm just at that level now where i'm i'm not in the a-list celebrity world where i need guns and armed guards but i've just bumped in where i'm like oh shit (laughs) i know people at my level who've had been burgled in their homes and threatened and they've had their expensive watches stolen and things like that yeah gun culture here is not the same matt we find it really hard in the uk to understand gun culture in america i I do practice a martial art and i think that that's important i want to be able to protect myself and yeah that's probably the extent to which i'm prepared for the apocalypse (laughs) okay well on that note first of all everyone in our show we appreciate you rob coming on the show today and to us you are an a-list 
person. You're A-list celebrities. <laughs> we want to give you that. You're the man. Thank you. Is there any last social media input or anything else that we can find you? Anything you haven't shared yet you'd like to share about how we might find out more about Rob Moore and, and what you're doing? Yeah. If you search Rob Moore, you'll find me on virtually every channel. It might be Rob Moore Progressive, but you'll know it's me. I'm on all socials, trying my best to be omnipresent. If you want sort of information to help you start and scale a business, get better financial education and knowledge, make, manage and multiply money, I have a digital financial freedom platform called rob.team. Just have to type in rob.team and that's a cancel anytime, no ongoing contract. It costs about 20 pence a day. And I have nearly 10,000 members on that now, Matt. And we're building an amazing community of movers, shakers, and change makers. Yeah, if someone wants just to get a little bit more into the inner circle and around other entrepreneurs and just leap beyond just free social media, which can be overwhelming and full of trolls, that might be where they go. They just type in our rob.team into any webpage. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming today. We appreciate you. We love you. And just thanks, brother. Appreciate you so much. Likewise, Matt. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a privilege and a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.